Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Deathblade, Kenny, Adam, and Lady Chow Fung. Deathblade is a special guest today. He translated the Hero Shed No Tears novel at Wuxia World. Uh, and today is Alexander Fushung's birthday, so this feels like an appropriate time to talk about Hero Shed No Tears, which is directed by Cho Yuen and was released in 1980. It's also based on uh, a book by Gu Long, which is the one I just mentioned. And in this story, uh, Little Gao descends down the mountain at a crucial time with a tear-stained sword and finds himself in the middle of a great rivalry between two powerful heroes. So um, I guess starting with uh, Deathblade, uh, what did you think of this one? Well, I really liked it, and uh, however, it's really hard for me to like separate the movie from the book, and not just with this book, like pretty much any book to movie. Um, I always have trouble watching the movie because I'm always thinking, well, wait a second, in the book, like this happened, um, and actually, that's why I refuse to read Game of Thrones because I'm like watching Game of Thrones. I don't want to read it. I know that I'll like hate it because of that. Um, not to say that I hated Heroes Shed No Tears, but like all those things kept jumping out to me. Um, and then on top of that, there's also the translation stuff, which uh, Kenny mentioned some of that earlier. And a lot of those things jumped out to me as well. Things where like I felt like, like the translation was off. Um, but that's kind of comes part and parcel with with uh, translations of the subtitles in movies. So anyway, overall, I really liked it. And I, you know, I might even watch it again sometime in the near future to, to pick up on things I might have missed on the first time. Um, no, I, I really enjoyed the movie too. So I haven't actually read the book, so I don't have that sort of uh, clouding my <laughs> impression of the movie there. But um, overall, I think it's a really good movie. I enjoyed it, and I, I found some some of the scenes were actually quite touching. And the ending, I thought, was quite satisfying. Um, it, the, there were a few plot points which I thought were a bit weird and a bit forced, but I don't know if that was a, the original intent of Gulong or if uh, it was uh, Choi Yuan taking liberties with the script or whatever, but I would definitely say this is one of the better movies I've seen. I totally like this movie. This is my third time watching it. Um, I enjoyed everything from the costumes and the sets to especially the actors and like Kenny stated, there were some very touching scenes that I actually cried. And um, But it's an enjoyable film, and I feel like it's one of Alexander Fusheng's better movies, being that it's more serious and not uh, so... He's not so silly in it, but I like the film. Yeah, I, I thought this was a very good movie. I should I should, you know, let everyone know that I was really not feeling well last night when I watched it and I still within half an hour just got completely sucked into it and I was on board with it. And it yeah, it, it's 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 a very satisfying ending. It uh it, it's there's a lot of a lot of twists and turns along the way. It's one of those movies too where I I, you know, at the midpoint, I really wasn't, I had no idea which direction any of this was going to go, which is always, always fun with movies. Yeah, and obviously I picked this movie for, for this week, so I clearly like it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, this is a movie, I, I, I mentioned this when I did my video review of it. I, I watched it once, and I immediately watched it again, and then I watched it a third time the next day, and I just kept re-watching the movie. And that's sort of my, mm -hmm. that's how I measure whether I like, like, like when I rate movies, that's sort of my measurement, is how, how compelled I feel to watch the movie again. And I think for me, a lot of what it is, is it boils down to the opening song really kind of gets me hooked in the movie, uh, similar to how um, The Last Hurrah for Chivalry does mm -hmm. with its opening theme. Uh, yes. I just, I hear that and I'm like primed to, to accept whatever drama unfolds. And, and then there's also another song midway through the movie that kind of, so there's sort of like a, like a Quentin Tarantino effect with this movie where the, where the music is perfectly aligned at those crucial moments. And uh, and just that, uh, you know, the, the sort of set piece scenes. There's the 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 scene where uh, Diewu, uh, the dancer, cuts off her leg, and there's the mm. scene where um, uh, Zhu Meng and um, and and Sima both sort of clash together at the, uh, you know, when they're at their lowest point. And so, you know, it's just a very dramatic kind of movie, and it it, it uh, is uh, you know one that 
I don't know. I just, for whatever reason, it just kind of resonated with me. But, um, but yeah, so uh, I guess why don't we talk about some of those scenes? I already mentioned the, the, the leg chopping scene, which I think is sort of the, I don't know, that's kind of a, I think that's like, to me, that's where the movie really <laughs> becomes a good movie is when she cuts off her leg. So, yeah. Uh, number one, what did people think of that scene? But also, why do you think she cut off her leg? Well, I thought that it was she cut off her leg as a sign to um, uh, what's his name? I'm, the characters are all confusing now. That's okay. You uh, can go by actor if that's easier too. If you want. yeah, um, Ku Feng's character that she you know didn't want to dance again. That she was sorry for everything that she had done. That she was made to do it wasn't like she did it on purpose, but she was forced into the situation. So, um, but I thought it was a pretty drastic measure to take to say that you were never going to dance again and that you were quite sorry for everything that you'd done and had set up. I wouldn't yeah. have done it. Well, yeah, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I, I felt like, you know, she'd realized how used she'd been and how everything she'd done, she'd been manipulated. And it was just, she was taking herself out of the game, basically. It's like, okay, if, uh, if, if ever, you know, if I'm just going to be this toy that's manipulated to do these horrible things, I don't want to do anything anymore. That's it, you know. That was my take on it. I think that, um, and this is one of those areas where, like, again, I'm stuck in the whole, like, book movie thing, but, like, there was, I think there was more to it in the book than that, remember? Because, like, when in the book, the opening scene where she meets little Gao is totally different in the book, and in the book, um, she actually, like, um, dresses up as a guy, and then they, like, tangle and fight. And then she wraps her legs around his neck or something like that. And then, like, slowly her, like, clothing gets revealed. And he, he looks at her legs and he's like, wow, like, such nice legs. And he's like, how could a guy have such nice legs? And then eventually, um, you know, it gets revealed that, that she's not a guy. And then, then, beyond that, the whole scene between them, like, falling in love with each other uh, in the movie was, like, literally, they were like, hey, look at the moon. Well, that's cool. All right, see you later. And then, like, then they're, like, totally in love. Whereas in the book, like, they spent a whole bunch of time together, and she, like, apparently, it seemed like, really actually liked him deeply. So then when it gets to that scene in the book, I feel like there's more impact there, because, like, not only was the whole leg connection there between all of them, um, like, also in the book, like, she cuts off both her legs in the book, which I think is, like, even, like, way more dramatic than the one leg. Um, but I feel like I feel like they took that scene over from the book, and then like dropped a couple of those like really complicated elements out of it, which made it a little bit less sort of like obvious why it happened in the movie. Um, I think if, if you're trying to just separate out what happened in the movie, forgetting the book. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what everybody else said. It's like, she was just done with like being used by everybody and not getting what she wanted. And just, I, it, I mean, essentially it made the point in the book, how that was like her life, and she was essentially committing suicide, even though she wasn't literally taking her own life. She was basically making it so that she couldn't live because she lived to dance. And so when she cut off her legs, she could never dance ever again. And that was really the end of her life. It just makes you think of uh, Careless Whispers. <laughs> She's got a guilty conscience, so she can't dance properly. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think I have much more to add um, to what the others have said already. But I guess I want to approach it from the point of view that um, this sort of whole like chopping off an arm, chopping off a leg thing in in you know which are um, stories, generally speaking, are sort of very masculine um, thing to do. I'd say you know it's, it's always like I'll chop off my arm in penance or whatever, and it's always seen as seen as something that's very decisive and. Uh, um, sort of forceful thing so I was totally not expecting her to chop off her own leg but when once she'd done that I, I, could, I could see where she was coming from although I have to say I wasn't really sure why she felt so guilty towards um, Zhu Meng but just because for, okay, from, what, from what I've been told in, in the movie they danced together for three days and three nights and that was the extent of their interaction mm -hmm. and of course I understand you know Wisha stories are all about the hot bloodedness and the passion but 
they didn't do anything together. They danced, they interacted, and then that was it. Three days, and then why is she feeling guilty that she hooked up with Drew uh, Mung's little brother now? <laughs> but I think that um, from a female's perspective, you could tell that Shumong um, was actually in love with her, not just through her dancing. I think that he had a real... The dancing connected them, but I think it went deeper than that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have looked for her for all this time. If it were just about the dancing, and both of them were passionate about the dancing, I still don't think him being this big hero, he would have looked for her if he hadn't had deeper feelings for her and so she realized that and became so guilty that she cut off her leg and essentially ended her own life through that but I think she realized that both men were in love with her yeah I think I think Jumong's perform the, the actor playing Jumong his performance really uh really sells that scene too it's uh he was he was just very effective in that scene I thought well, I love how he's like just stunned. He's just kind of staring off and then he slowly sort of realizes what's going on and then he kind of has the freak out. But th- that guy is in like every movie and yeah. and I think he's uh, he's, he's a really good actor. So he, I, I, I think he to, he's one of the, the best parts of the film. In my opinion, it's just. A, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, because the thing is, you know, leading up to that scene where the invitations go, it's like you, you know, it's like I knew kind of where where this was going, but I didn't expect the scene to be so, you know, as powerful as it was. It's like yeah. one of those things where it was, it was, it was inevitable, but it was still amazing the way it all played out. And, and um, it's it, actually. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I totally forgot about this until we just started talking about it. But um, on my like, you know, uh, quotation on my WeChat, WeChat is like the social messaging app of China. I actually have a quote from the end of Heroes Shed No Tears. I've had it on there for ever since I translated it, and it actually pertains directly to this whole point because in the very end of this, it's it's from one of the final lines in the book. And as, uh, you know, as Little Gao and uh, Ju Meng are like walking off, it says the singing of the singer, the dancing of the dancer, the sword of the swordsman, the pen of the scholar, the fighting spirit of the hero. As long as life exists, these things will never be cast aside. So I think that like, goes directly to the point of what I was making earlier, which was she just her life was over in her mind. It was just like kind of like, what's the point of? being able to dance and having these like spectacular legs when everything has been like ruined. Well, and her legs are mentioned like you, I mean, you you'd mentioned that they were mentioned before in the novel, but I, I noticed this time when I was rereading it, that they're mentioned quite a bit throughout the novel as like, a, so I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, 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 it's definitely put into your mind by the time you get to the point when they get cut out. Um, I also do think it's interesting that in the book, they cut off both the legs and in the movie it's one of the legs i'm sure it was largely just for you know whatever was more practical for filming purposes but uh so so in the movie you get the effect where she's kind of hopping around with the one leg and in the in the in the book it's obviously different um but uh but yeah so you know i guess we've we've uh you know we've we've uh, gone over that that particular scene plenty um but I, I did want to know. Um, I guess we should get into this now because the title of the movie is "Heroes Shed No Tears," and b- before Deathblade sort of gets into the explanation, that's that's it's because it's clearly addressed in the book. Um, I'm just curious what people think that uh, uh, that title means in the context of the film. <laughs> I haven't actually given it much thought. Um, I mean, it's a. I feel like it's as close to um, you know a sort of a traditional saying as you can get. But I never really think about how it would apply into this story. I mean, I guess we, we everybody in the movie, I guess with the exception of um, uh, I can't remember the purple guy's name. Um, my mind's gone blank. Oh, Dong uh, Dong Lai. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, don't lie. And um, yeah, everybody in the movie sort of seems very heroic. I mean, Ju Mong and uh, Sima um, Chao Chong, they were all very, 
you know, heroic people. And then even like Gao, um, Gao Zhenfei was really, you know, they, they were all these sort of the epitome of sort of martial hero type characters. And um, they've been through, they've all been through a lot in, in throughout the movie. I mean, we, <laughs> Sima, Chelshen, what came back to find his whole family committed suicide in front of him. He was very stoic about it. Like, I mean, you, you, could, you could tell he was like broken on the inside, but you know, he didn't cry about it. He didn't wail or anything. He just sort of calmly walks up to uh, Dong Lai and, uh, and and just you know questions him before you know breaking out into a fight scene with him. So and and you know Ju Mong, you know he he's been searching, he's searching for this the woman of you know the love of his life you know for God knows how long. And you know what, at the final reunion, you know she chops off her own leg and uh, and hands it to him before you know crawling away. And you know he he you know other than being stunned for most of it, he didn't cry at all there. You know but. I don't know. It, it surely can't be that simple. So I'll, I'll, I'll let <laughs> Jeremy go and uh, explain why, why why the title was pertinent. Well, I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think you're right, Brendan, that it was clearly addressed, but I, I don't think it was clearly explained, though. Like, I okay. feel like it's open to interpretation, you know? Because, well, I mean, there's so many elements that play into it. First of all, the surface element of, like, you know, Heroes Shed No Tears, like, the the big fighting guys don't cry. But the funny thing is, in the book, I'm pretty sure every character cries, um, with the exception of Xiaolexia, whose name literally means tears of blood. He's the one that doesn't cry. No, and and one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is because when I first saw the movie... I kept thinking, this is called Hero Shed No Tears, but everybody seems to be crying. And so, so yeah, so go on. But I, I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right on, on that. I, I mean, I th- and, but interestingly, um, in the book, it, it, it never actually says that they're crying. What it'll say is it'll say, like, you know, it looks like, like something was going down his cheeks that seemed like it might be a tear, but no one would ever know, or like things like that. So it was like really vague, but it was clear from the context they were crying. And then, of course, the, the sword is stained with tears, and the tears fell out of the eyes of the master. So like, I think I think Goulon was trying to say that heroes do shed tears. It's just that people think they don't or like i don't know what was he actually what was his deeper meaning i'm not sure but the but you're right everybody cried ex- except for the the assassin he's the one that didn't yeah. cry well because even at one he even like had this weird logic thing he used where he said like they don't cry because their tears have dissolved in their blood and so when they're crying right. it's really their blood it was like it was a very sort of elaborate workaround so that like heroes aren't actually shedding tears but yeah, it was because I think that's one reading. I think another reading is that no, they don't shed tears; they shed blood. They kill. They kill instead of cry, um, which is maybe another way to to look at it. But you know, you you dealt with the original uh, language of it, so I thought you might you probably have a better handle on. Uh, I mean, I, this is one case where I feel like the um, the translation follows pretty close to the Chinese. I mean, it's not like one of those lost in translation mm-hmm. things. The only thing that's lost is that Xiaolexia's name means tears of blood. And so you're constantly seeing that every time he pops up in every single scene. So like, you're right, like he talked about that whole tears of blood or, or their, their tears mixed with their blood so they're not really crying. And then every single time he appears, the cold-blooded, you know, calculated ultimate killer um, whenever he appears, he literally does have tears in his own name. So I think there's like a, so many like levels, and one of the reasons why I like this story so much is because there's all those different levels of meaning that like you can analyze. In terms of the movie itself, I think even though it isn't explained, like you pointed out, it actually comes across pretty, pretty clearly. And what does it mean? What is the the meaning in the end when the sword that is stained by tears kills somebody and then the tears are gone? Like what is that? I mean the, the the sword shed tears like I, I don't know I feel like my mind is about to explode <laughs> that's that's actually a good point and the um the, the other thing about the sword the, the whole thing with the omen and the sword is this this is a story that kind of gets really close to the supernatural for for wuxia which I always feel I feel like wuxia often has like will really try to you know side it, it it's not usually that I don't know it just seems a little bit more open to the supernatural um, but, uh, but Lady Chaofeng, were you trying to chime in there? I, I saw your, your thing going. I didn't know if you had wanted to weigh in. 
Well, I was just thinking about the ending and that the tear stain of the sword had gone away, just like um, everything had been cleansed and the the whole story was resolved at the end. That's all I was thinking about. Yeah, and also, I sh- uh, you know, this is just um, uh, something I wanted to mention because I don't want to forget it. I think Alexander Fusheng was actually injured pretty badly in this movie. Um I think I think it was an injury that he was still recovering from when he was working on uh, eight diagram pole fighter, um, and I was trying to find I was trying to see if I could find the scene where it happened, but I doubt that it actually got caught on film. Um, but yeah, so speaking of you know actors and characters, what's everybody's favorite character in this movie? Oh, should I go first? I, I think I should go first. I guess um, uh, I I would. Uh, that's really hard. Um, if probably, you need to pick two, pick two. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think the characterization of the characters is pretty similar throughout. I mean, in both the movie and in the uh, the book. And I have to say, like, uh, don't lie. I don't really like him, but I love his character. Like, I feel like he is one of the most... I mean, it comes across in the movie, but in, in the book even more, he is, like, the ultimate villain i mean he is super smart he's actually like in the book he's really really good fighter i mean he's like probably in the top and but the ultimate schemer the ultimate planner like everything like he is manipulating everything and it's only in that final moment that he somehow gets outsmarted but i really like his character a lot i, I in all the, the Usha books i've i've read and translated and movies i've watched i think he's probably one of the best villains I totally agree. Um, I love this character. Derek Yee is one of my favorite actors anyway, but this role really solidified that for me. Um, I disliked this character but loved him at the same time. I thought, just like Jeremy said, that he was very smart, very manipulative, and I could compare him to my favorite um, Lu Feng character, which is uh, Cal Feng from um, Flag of Iron. They were like chess masters. They had a move for everything, and they positioned themselves and the people around them to get what they wanted, but at the very end of the movie, they underestimated someone so much that it brought down that their it brought their downfall. So I just loved that character. I thought it was great. I want to read the book just so I can wrap my head around him a little bit more. There, there are some surprises about him in the book that you, we will, uh, we might want to, uh, well, I don't know. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you. So maybe we'll avoid talking about them here, um, <laughs> but just be, be prepared. Uh, okay. Kenny. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Chuo Lai is probably my favorite character. It's like, I, I don't even think, like, he's unlikable. I mean, I think he is, like, the perfect definition of practical. I mean, he had his goals, and he did what he could to achieve. He didn't, as far as I could see in, in the movie, kill innocents, per se. Like, he, he, everything he did was sort of, like, within the realms of what martial artists in Wulin would do. So... Yeah, yeah. He didn't even kill uh, Zhu Meng or Sima uh, Chaozun himself, right? He, he, you know, he he defeated. He thoroughly uh, manipulated, manipulated, and then outmaneuvered them, and then just dragged them out, threw them out. I mean, he he didn't kill them because, well, he, you know, he. I guess he had the whole sort of thing going on about, oh, you have to kill people at the right time and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I feel like you know he doesn't kill people when it's necessary, and once he feels like he achieved his goal, then. You know, he, he didn't do anything. He didn't go beyond the line, even though his line was probably set a bit further back than <laughs> your regular uh, martial hero. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if him not killing them on some level is the fact that he didn't want to be the person everyone else was gunning for, too. Because he was setting up, uh, you know, a Gao's character to be the one that kills them. That was part of his plan, was you're going to kill these people. So that way... You know, that way, everyone who was gunning to be the, you know, the top dog of the martial world would be going after Gao and not him. So he'd have the power, but he wouldn't be drawing as much attention to himself. Well, he's kind of, he's like the Don King of uh, of the martial world. 
But uh, but so who who was your favorite uh, character, Adam? Uh yeah. I mean, Zhao Donglei is definitely a, a a good choice. But I'll I'll go with two, and I'll also go with Chu Meng too because uh, they were they were both. You know, his you know Kufang's uh, performance was just so good in this this movie that I I feel like I have to give him you know some call, call out there too. Yeah, I I mean I I think uh, Dong Lai is one of the best villains ever, and it's a really tight call for me. But I also would have to go with Shu Meng just because I feel like Kufang really sold the movie for me. That was the when I first saw it that scene where you know he's saying i'm still zhu mung and you're still sima and it, it was just this yeah. that scene and then he's like talking about like all the like the, the slaughter that's happened and the 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 consequences for their families uh it was very very dramatic and you know very over the top but it worked and so that was mm-hmm. an awesome monologue yeah and that mm-hmm. that that scene was just it just blows you away yeah it's it's one of those scenes like it'll give you chills that scene um, yeah, but I but I also <laughs> do think you know Der- Derek E is a great actor and he was perfect for this role and he's so like suave and mm-hmm. elegant and you know this kind of connects it to the book a little bit but like the whole idea of how he he doesn't even need to use a sword anymore he can just he can just anticipate things and and put the pieces into place and then people die and he doesn't he barely lifts a finger so you know I, I think that's a that's about as perfect a villain as you can get. Um, I think in the I think in the in the novel, if you read it, I feel like it's the same, um, but there's a little more level of um, I don't want to say sinister, but definitely like just calculated villainy. Because like for example, it 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 doesn't explain in in the book directly why uh, he met. Wu, or sorry, why little Gao met Diawu right before he fought Sima Chaofun because that incident threw his heart off so badly that he couldn't concentrate and he couldn't fight. And so because of that, he should have lost <clears throat> that duel. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and so, I mean, if you think about that, Zhou Lai basically like intentionally like broke his heart in order to be able to determine the outcome of that fight. And there's a lot of things like that in the book where, like, you you see you get more insight into the motivation and the actual like nitty gritty of how he went about doing those things, and that he's definitely a calculating bastard. Yeah, no, and that and I, I agree with you. In the movie, that kind of it kind of flies over that a little bit fast, um, and so it doesn't in, in the book. It's 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 more apparent what's going on there, and. Uh, and I, I it, and it kind of reminds me of sort of like boxers psyching each other out before a fight. Like it's that kind of a thing. Um, but uh, one thing I did want to get at is uh, the the character of Sima Chao Chun. What, what did people think of him? Huh. I, I didn't have a strong opinion of him, to be honest. I mean, he was kind of. You know, I mean, he gets kind of introduced at the beginning. He's, you know, he's a really good fighter, but he's he's not all that bright, you know. And I think I think that that would kind of remain my impression for most of the movie. I mean, he has the great scene at the end we've already talked about, where uh, they're both both at their low point. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. He he uh, he didn't make a huge impression on me, to be honest. I thought it was a very sympathetic character just because you know he he's work you know he's obviously worked very hard for his life he's got he's attained all of these excellent martial skills you know he's got a family he's the head of uh, was it 39 uh, um you know escort agencies and you know everyone respects him as a person everywhere and you know and he is a genuinely nice person and yeah with the downside of that he's not really that bright which is why you know he found someone who could think on it you know on, on his behalf to help him manage his people and yeah keep keep him in check and all that but yeah as with these sort of things when you get to a position of uh, too great power then you know you start getting undermined from you know people who want to take over right which is what happened to him and you know it, 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 i can't help but think like if he wasn't as successful if he wasn't like a leader in the sort of martial world then maybe you know his family wouldn't have had to commit suicide and he wouldn't have uh, had to 
you know, start a conflict with Jun Wong and the um, the Brave Lions, or I think it was Clan Below called, um, with, with the clan there, and you know, a, a lot of the tragedy in the movie could have been avoided in in some way, but. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about the monologue, and and I feel like that both Dumong and um, Sima and Chao could have been very good friends if they had had a chance to sit down at a table and share a cup of wine or something. But because of someone instigating, uh, um, yeah, fanning the flames from behind the scenes, there, yeah, they never they never got the chance, and um, I think it's just a bit of a shame that. Uh, he, he, everything turned out the way it did for him because I felt like he deserved the success that he had. <laughs> My impression was that Shima wasn't... It wasn't that he wasn't that smart. I think that being so powerful for so long and concentrating more on the finer arts, you just felt that he was more kind of enlightened on that end and mm. the martial arts world wasn't so much for him anymore. I mean, he was still in control and he handed over much of his thinking power to Dong Lai. So he just was blinded by that, that his aid would ever take over from him. But I don't, I didn't get the impression that he was so stupid. I just think it was more blinded for me that he was just more, more worried, not worried, but more martial arts and, all that just wasn't his thing anymore. He'd grown past that and he was just more on to, cause his wife had mentioned that he was more into the music and the painting and the calligraphy and everything. So maybe, you know, it seems that he was just more enlightened to that part of himself than he was in the martial arts well, at this point in his life, being older and everything. Well, and in the book, I do you... wonder how much of that was sort of like uh, in, sort of influenced by uh, Dong Lai as well. Maybe you know he oh, exactly. pushed him towards the calligraphy and the arts to try and dull his blade, so that there's more chance that someone would be able to kill him. Yeah. But... Well, and, and in the book, he does kind of reveal that he knows a little bit more than he he lets on, at least with certain things. Um, but I, I I don't know. I I like. Jason Paipiao's performance in this, especially the open, and I know it's a little ambiguous to me exactly how stupid he is supposed to be in the movie. I feel like they start out sort of presenting him as a bit as a bit of a buffoon, but over time, that seems to fade a little bit. But there's that great line at the start where he he looks at Dong Lai when the um when the guy is is leaving uh, uh, Lion Clan to join him, and the and and basically the thing that's going to set off the big conflict is about to happen. And he says, you know, Dong Lai, you have like everybody in the palm of your hand, and 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 uh, and he just has this like stupid look on his face. Um, I don't know. I really, I really like that moment in the movie. Um, I th- I think it's interesting that um, the the wife got me- uh, his wife got mentioned because her his wife actually played a lot more important role, which I'm not going to talk about since maybe I can maybe maybe you guys can read it and be surprised, but I feel like <clears throat> the uh, oh, sorry. Back to the question. I feel like the performance in the movie was really good. I actually liked the character in the movie, um, but totally different than I think he was in the book. Like in the book, um, he was supposed to be like this monster—not monster, but like a mountain of a man. In fact, actually, now that I think about it, the guy that plays the mountain in Game of Thrones. Like that Norwegian guy that's like 17 feet tall and like has like <laughs> arms the size of trucks. Like that's kind of how I envisioned him. And he's described as being super, superhumanly large and strong. And it, and he, like one thing that didn't get explained in the movie was that it's true that Jolong Lai is his assistant, but they were also basically best friends. And they rose up from um, nothing in the in the martial arts world. They were just... I mean, I got the impression they were almost like beggars. And then, like, little bit by little bit, they fought their way up. And through that whole time, like, he, Simon Chouchman, was the, the front man, the superhero. Like, like you know, the guy in the anime who, like, jumps out with huge muscles and, like, poses and then, like, smiles and then his, like, teeth, like, gleam. Like, that's uh-huh. him. And then Jordan Lai is, like, behind the scenes manipulating things. And they always implied in the book that they did, like, really, like, 
conniving or dirty things. I envisioned like murder or poison or whatever. But throughout all of that, he was always the good guy, the hero that always did everything right. And that was his reputation. Like remember the scene in the movie, same as in the book, when he is finally totally down and out. And then everyone in the restaurant is like praising him, how amazing he is. And then he's like, I'm not a hero. And they're like, how do you know? He's like, because I'm him. Like, it wasn't just his fighting ability. It was his like heroic nature, except that was a sham. And he knew that because Donald Lai was behind the scenes doing all that stuff. So I feel the movie was good, but I feel like his character in the book was way more sympathetic. And I feel like he, I feel like in the, in the book, he wasn't supposed to be stupid. He was willfully ignorant like he was happy to be the guy out there that everybody was worshiping and even though he knew that there was a lot of shady stuff going on in the background he was fine as long as he got to be the big hero well in fact there's a there's a scene and i don't want to spoil it for anybody but there's a scene with his wife where i think he demonstrates a lot of wisdom in the book uh with how you know what he chooses to to know and not know and reveal and so um yeah i think i think it's uh, Mm -hmm. uh but speaking of the the scene in the inn uh, I think we should talk about that because that is that's a very interesting scene in the movie where after he's been defeated by Dong Lai, he's sort of you know he emerges from a puddle in the rain and and begins to drink himself into a stupor at an inn and there are these guys there praising Sima and and he's like no Sima is a moron Sima Sima is a fool and then they come over and they start kicking the crap out of him and he's too drunk to really do much and and the guy is like you know is boasting that Sima is like his like a really distant relation of his um and it's kind of a it's kind of a scene that's played for comedy but also for uh, I don't know, there's like a little bit of like a, a somber thing going on too. So I don't know if people had thoughts on that scene. Oh yeah, I, th- I think the <laughs> the whole trying to you know claim that you have relations to someone in power is a very common thing in, <laughs> in real life too. I mean, I, it's sort of like, you know, in, in my day in primary school or whatever, um, grade school, you guys would call it, oh, you know, oh, my uncle works at Nintendo, so he knows that these games are coming out soon. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I, I, I know, I, I enjoyed that scene. I mean, it, it, it showed that, you know, it, the, the realization has, you know, fully hit Sima at that point in time that, you know, he, he, he he's been completely used and now cast aside. To be fair, I'm even surprised that he had money on him to go get wine and food i mean he was still wearing the same clothes that he got kicked out in and yeah i'm presuming he's still like severely wounded because um yeah from the fight scene right or yeah he'd been stabbed in the fire a few times slashed across the back and uh, stabbed in the chest and you know apparently after you lie in the puddle for a while that's all good and you can just go straight to an inn and start drinking yourself (laughs) but yeah I, i i really enjoyed that and um yeah, and it's just a contrast. Like what a person's reputation and what they actually are can be, yeah, the difference between heaven and earth. There, so it's like, uh, it was a it, that scene highlighted that quite well for me. It also shows that people see you differently than you see yourself. A lot of times, mm. um, you know, this distant, like fifteen times removed relation sees you as this big heroic person, but in reality behind the scenes you're just completely a sham and washed up at this point and you have nowhere to go and nowhere nowhere no nothing to do excuse me and you're just done with everything and anybody can kick your butt at this point and, well and when they're singing his praises in the end they they are kind of painting the image that Jeremy just painted of him so it's kind of an interesting contrast um But, uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Somebody There's one thing I, no, I just wanted to change subjects here before we get sidetracked in a different one. And I, and I don't want to nerd out too much on the whole translating Chinese thing, but, um, like, and it's not just this movie. It's a lot of movies where when you can, and I, I Kenny, you probably, we, you even mentioned that's the subtitles being off. I mean, when you can understand what they're actually saying and then can compare it to what's being translated, it's, it, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> Um, and generally speaking, overall, I would say it was like really good. Um, I started to take notes where I was gonna like write down all the things I noticed, and after about like three minutes, I just gave up. I was like, "This is like stupid," because um, it's 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 too difficult to 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 compare 
a lot, a lot of those those kind of things. But but a couple of things really jumped out to me that I wanted to share. Um, and most of the things were small. Um, like for example, uh, in the in the Chinese, they use Tianyi, which means the will of heaven or the will of the heavens or something. And they translated it a couple different ways in the subtitles. They sometimes they translated it as fate, and sometimes they translated it as the will of God, which makes t- it, it's the same, you know, same meaning. To me, it's like feels a little different because there's, you know, Chinese culture is not really God per se. So it's like to talk about the will of God seems you, a bit weird. You would have loved Web of Death because they instead of doing the <laughs> Buddhist prayer, they have them do the Lord's prayer. In, uh, in, oh, yeah. in, uh, in, in, I think it's in the dub. I don't think it's in. I think the sub they actually just say like you know prayer in brackets. But in the in the in the dub they change it to Our Father who art in heaven. And it's uh, um, so, this guy meditating on a, on a lotus, right? Yeah. And it's just sat there. <laughs> so so yeah, I think I'll I think changing it to out. God is 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 actually very confusing because I remember the first time I encountered the idea of heaven in a movie. They they translated it in that way. They translated it as God, and it kind it kind of threw me off, and it took me a while to get what they were saying. Um, the other one, sorry, little baby Deathblade has appeared. I'm gonna give him some milk. Um, he just woke up. The the other one that I was gonna mention, which this was actually kind of a, in my opinion, a big one, was how um, they didn't translate Jianghu in the in the in the subtitles. Jianghu came up a lot in the here you go. Want some milk? Okay, have some milk. Um, in the subtitles, they just translated it as the world. So, like, the general sort of, like, idea still came across, but in my opinion, we all know that Jianghu is, like, the sort of, like, underworld martial arts and beyond martial arts, just the whole, like, that society, which is a separate from the world. Mm-hmm. So everywhere in the movie where they talk about the world, like, where he says, you know, XYZ is in the world. Like, how can you... There's a scene when the guy with the spear, I forget what his name is, Sun Qing or Sun Qing or something, I forget. Remember, uh, they in the very beginning of the movie, the guy with the spear, they fight him. And he says, he originally, he says something like, how can you trust people in the world? Well, in Chinese, he says, how can you trust people in Jianghu? Which makes way more sense than how can you trust people in the world? And that was something that I really felt like kind of, I mean, I understand why they did it back in the 80s and nobody knew what Jianghu was and nobody knew what the martial arts world was and so it would would have been kind of confusing. But nowadays, now that we all know a lot more about those things, I feel like that would have made made a lot more sense to have Jianghu or at least the martial world or something like that, which incidentally, mm-hmm. Ulin was also in the, the, in the dialogue multiple times and they just translated it as the world or something else like that. So I feel like that kind of changed the flavor of a lot of the underlying messages that were coming across well and and i think that character's name was sun tong if i'm not mistaken um yeah yeah you're right but, right but um but yeah no i think that's significant because this is a movie that i think it really paints a picture of the zhang hu it's like it's like you get a real sense that this is a place populated by by these characters from the from the martial underworld and it's uh you know so so yeah that that's that would i think actually change how the movie feels if they if they did it as martial world instead of world or zhang hu um but yeah i I, so did you have any other any other observations on the translation i just want the beginning as well there was uh, the main the main thing that jumped out was at the very beginning when they're trying to introduce the uh the master and uh and and his like senior apprentice brother or whatever and they 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 completely botched that up. I can't remember what they said, but I remember hearing it and like reading the subtitles again. That is not what they were saying. And if you go by what the subtitles are saying, you're gonna have no idea who who this person is and who created the sword and all that. Well, and it's even kind of confusing because yeah, because he says um he calls him the the his senior. It almost sounds like it was his disciple or something in the in the subs. Um... Well, that's what confused me because. To, to me, it, I thought that the three of them were Marshall brothers, but the way the subtitles made it, it seemed like the one was above the other two, and they were just disciples. So which one is it, really? Are they all the, equal, or the or the latter? I'm I'm pretty sure there was a master with two main disciples. two apprentices. Okay. Oh, but I, I thought it was um, 
the, I thought they were all Marshall brothers, and then the one that created the sword was a senior, and then the one that was doped up on opium was the second one, and then the, the master who slayed in the mountain was the third. We should talk about the opium guy, too, because that, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. the, we have to talk uh, about the wooden box. Yeah, well, okay, let's get to the wooden box, because I've been dying to talk about that. So, and then remind me to talk about the opium guy. So the wooden box, how do people feel about the wooden box? What the hell is that supposed to be, is my opinion on it. Like, it's, it's a box of weapons, basically. <laughs> well, but it was so skinny, it was like, how can you fit that many weapons in that one little box? Okay, so... And then it went from 13... In one scene, it was it has the essence of 13 weapons, and then in another scene, it was 39. So think, that was confusing. I think in the book, they said something like the essence of 13 weapons, but you can combine that to make 30 I forget it. I think it I think there were two numbers thrown around. But my my reading of it is a box and in the box are a bunch of gears and like raw parts that you can use to make a bunch of different weapons. So I'm imagining there might be like sword hilts in there and blades and various things that can be very quickly put together to make the exact weapon you need for the moment. But you have to be super good at manipulating the box and so it takes a certain degree of genius to do it um to me it was a magic box it was like as soon as you opened it there was your weapon that you needed and i mean yeah, you know the, I, oh, go ahead in the uh in the book it goes into more detail like you just explained where and it's a little it's not very well explained in the book either but my impression was that like you said there's a bunch of different parts and one thing he did make clear salacia which uh, the whole it, it was mentioned in the movie how he wanted little gal to take over for him but it didn't really go much more into that but in the book it, it, he basically said the person that succeeds him with this box has to be like incredibly quick and have incredibly fast fingers which he did by picking the lock to begin with to that box um and so like yeah like my impression is you're supposed to be able to open it and reach in grab grab out the different parts put them together and then use them in like the blink of an eye literally which i like i think it's kind of cool but in my opinion even in the book or the movie it's a little bit like stretches the realms of imagination like that you would be able to assemble a weapon that quickly when we're talking about like you know like the the top weapon in the martial world which was mentioned in the book by the way is uh little lee's flying dagger um, in the opening chapter of the book, um, they're talking about what are the top weapons. And by the point that this book was takes place, Little Lee is already dead. Um, but it's obviously within recent memory that he was the top uh, guy. And, you know, his whole point was his dagger was so fast that nobody could ever stop it. And I'm thinking, like, how could you, like, put together a weapon with multiple parts and, like, be, like, better than that? I mean, that's just kind of crazy. I, th I think the, I think so. My reading of it was that it's like a counter weapon device. So like, if if you're contending with Little Lee, you'd be able to devise whatever weapon you need to receive his attack and not die, and then get an attack in maybe. But I, but I don't know. Um, but he destroys the box in the movie. He busts it mm -hmm. up at the end, so there's no more box. So <laughs> I, I I don't know why he does that. Actually, that was that's one of the things that's always perplexed me about the film he just smashes it and uh and it's gone so but i, have I, to say, I forgot about that and I, and in the in the book it's so cool because the opening line of the book is talking about an ordinary guy walking into chang'an city with an ordinary looking box and then the final line of the book is an ordinary guy with an ordinary box walking out of chang'an city like a big circle well, and I and I have to say the guy who plays um plays the the guy with the box um uh was it Zhao how do you how do you pronounce the the name Zhao Luge is that it I don't know I'd have to, I I don't know so um but Yu Hua plays him and I think he does a really a really good job as that character um he's not you know there's so, there's so many standout characters in the movie but. But to me, he really, you know, I thought he worked really well in that role. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the name of the actor, the, the character. Yeah, no, the, the character. Okay, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, the actor's name is Yuhua. Um, but yeah, so, and, and uh, 
Did anybody else have any thoughts on the uh, on the box? I don't know if we got if we got Adam in on that one or not. Uh, I don't have any additional thoughts on the box. So. <laughs> Actually, I was say like the, the, the most effective use of the box I've seen was when he uses that as to launch like hidden weapons more than anything else. Like, and then you know he drew some blades out of it, and then the then the end of the movie when he crushed it to make the sword catcher basically, which. Uh, it was a bit of a strange, like, uh, they were touting it as like, the ultimate ultimate counter-weapon for swords, and uh, just <laughs> thinking how ridiculous that was. Oh, no, you caught the hilt of my sword. Shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> but uh, well, what I liked about that was how it was perfectly designed for Dong Lai. So it's like, you know, he knew how clever Dong Lai was, and he knew exactly what he would be, you know, he, he, he knew what tactic he would employ. And so, you know, it, it just, uh, it, you know, sort of uses his own, his own, his own superior wits against him. Um, but yeah, but also the, uh, the opium guy, uh, you know, we should, I think, I think he deserves a little bit of discussion because he's, he's an unusual character and he's, he's somebody that Dong Lai sort of gets hooked on opium so that he can pick his brain for things in the martial world and, he also clearly has his eye on the guy has a um, a contract uh, for um, for Zhao Leizhu who uh, you know if he just fills in any name Zhao Leizhu has to go and kill that person and so I think Dong Lai also has his eyes on um, on that and I think in the movie was he uh, was he supposed to be Die Wu's father? Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which was perfect because he was able to manipulate her by holding them hostage in the movie. So, you know, he, she was obviously going to do whatever he said because her dad was under his control. So it was perfectly part of his plan. In the, I feel like uh, he was one of the other characters that was the biggest deviation from the book. And without, you know, going too much into it in the book, he was a, a genius like martial artist whose martial arts had been crippled. So basically, Zhou Lai could just—he didn't have to do anything. He could just keep him hostage. And then I, they used opium, but in the book it was other tech tactics to not like keep him captive, but to please him while he provided all that information. So I feel like they deviated. I think it totally worked in the movie, but definitely a big change from the book. Anyone else? I, I I don't know. I I think you know he's he seems like a character who'd seen through you know all the the um, the wind and waves of uh, the martial world already, and he's just so tired of everything. And the fact that opium exists, you know, in the movie as a as an out for him, but you can sort of see why he's so eager to get out of it. I mean, if everybody who sort of grows to that age from the martial world. Um, has seen through all these death, loved ones dying, people chopping their legs off in front of them. I mean, you can probably guess that he probably has some severe form of PTSD or something at that point. Right? Well, and like Deathblade was saying, that there's there's references to characters from other Gulong stories, so he does exist in this broader world of Gulong, where certainly a lot of crazy stuff has happened. Um, and Gulong stories tend to be quite on, on, on the darker end of the spectrum as well, on the yeah, how vicious human beings can be, and uh, uh, how killing people is just basically an everyday occurrence type of thing. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, we, you know, Deathblade might might have a difference of opinion than me on this, but uh, but I think so. I, I think that uh, it's uh, one of the things I like about Gulong is how dark and noirish he can be, and uh, and and how. It, it, a lot of the characters are, you know, they're not. So many of the characters that populate the story seem really sketchy, and uh, but interesting. So um, they're very human, as is, is what I'd say. And they're not necessarily like larger than life type characters. They're always like people you can probably find, you know, in, in, in any in, in all walks of life, in all part, in, in any part of the world, right? Yeah, but they feel like people from the wrong side of the tracks. That's what I like about them. Oh, yeah. Feel like, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, the, it's like the boxers and the, you know, the, the, the women of the night. It's not the, um, you know, it's, it's not the, not the super pure characters. And so there's something kind of interesting about that. Yeah. And I feel like 
um, Gulong's fight scenes as I, I well, I, I don't know if you guys only watch the movies, maybe it doesn't come across this way, but in the books, his fight scenes <clears throat> are very, very different than Jin Yong fight scenes. And I feel like the movies tend to portray the fight scenes as they would be in Jin Yong novels. Was in Jin Yong novels, you know, like they're using like 17 million different moves and they're yeah. like, you know, countering this and that. And in Gulong mm-hmm. novels, it's more like either like maybe a little more like like Japanese samurai fights where like they kind of face off and they both like looking at each other and then like bam they use a move and then one of them is dead like that's usually how the fights tend to go you know who would have been a great director for a gulong story would have been king who because his movies do kind of do that um but yeah i think i think cho yuan he loves sort of like like every every cho yuan movie i've seen it's always the guys in the robe sort of twirling around and and sort of the flow he loves that sort of circular flowing movement um, yeah, like so, in the yeah, in the it's... in the movie, the scene between Zhou Donglai and Xiao Lexue when they finally like meet and then Xiao Lexue gets immobilized. Like in the in the book, the way I envision it, like if if you translated it to like film, it would basically be like. In fact, I think it literally describes it this way. It would be like a close up of Zhou Donglai's face and then a close up of Xiao Lexue's face and then a zoom in closer to the eye, then zoom in closer <laughs> to the eye, then zoom in even closer to the eye, then even closer to the eye. <laughs> And then like, Dum! and then the scene's over. Yeah, but I think I think it's interesting you bring up the simplicity of the fights in the book because in the uh, in the scene where Seema's you know at his low point and he's in the tavern listening to the other people talking about how great he is, the thing they're talking about is you know he defeated a guy these guys with only three postures you know so it's like that's actually almost sounds like kind of a carryover from the book of it being his fighting style just being so simple when he took these guys out so. Yeah, I think a little bit of it made into the movie, if not into actually the action of the movie. But um, but yeah, so we're we're coming up on the on the hour mark, so I think I'm gonna end it shortly here. But did anybody have anything they wanted to add before we before we head out, in case we overlooked anything? Well, I wanted to point out there's also a comic book version of this, um, a Hong Kong version that uh, actually went way beyond. I didn't read it. I just like looked at the pictures, but I could tell from the pictures that it was it goes beyond the ending of the book. And um, if you're interested, you can you know track down the the Chinese uh, title of the book and do a search on like Baidu or something, and you can pull up images of the comic. It's pretty cool, especially the way they portray the characters. And then on top of that, I'm sorry for people who are only listening, but for those of you, since we're on a video call here, there's actually like, I got action figures of the action, of the characters. So like, <laughs> oh, this sweet. is this is the guy with the box, Xiao Lixia. And uh, here is, this is Samoa Chaochun. He has a really nice hair. And then here's Joel Don't Lie. But she looked, he has like a Mr. Fantastic gray. Like, <laughs> and here's, here's Jumung. He looks like a, a, like a badass. And then little Gao has, has like a little ponytail and looks really cute. Um, so the, the comic is really cool. I really wish it would get translated into English. Probably not. But you can search the images. They're, they're pretty neat. Anyone else? All right. So, um, so yeah. So that you know, the name of the movie is Heroes Shed No Tears. It's a 1980 Cho Yuen film, and uh, and again, it's Alexander Fu Sheng's birthday. So you know, he's he's one of the stars of the film. Uh, film also stars uh, Ku Fung and Derek Yi. And uh, you know, I, I think it's a it's a magnificent movie. It's worth checking out. Unfortunately, this is one that is not available on Prime. So if you want to see it, you will have to get the DVD. And uh, next week we're going to be on, I think we're going to do Heaven and Hell, which I'm really looking forward to. So, uh, so we'll be on to talk about that. And until then, we will talk to you later. <laughs>